Do you have trouble trusting other people? Do you have people you trust? And how do you know they're trustworthy? Welcome to episode 228 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Mary and Lauren. They used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Mary and Lauren, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps a few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I will be your host today. Joining me is Pat. Welcome, Pat. Hi, Spencer. The reading for today is from Courage to Change, page 232, August 19th. There was a piece of reality that I never wanted to see. I love someone who couldn't be trusted. Again and again, I suffered the disappointment of broken promises, contradictions, and outright lies. Each time, I felt crushed, betrayed, outraged. Nevertheless, hours or sometimes days later, I put the incident out of my mind. When the next promise was made, I trusted without hesitation and with my whole heart. I continue to find it hard to accept that I can't trust the promises of someone I love. Yet I see that most of my heartache has come from my own refusal to accept reality. Al-Anon helps me to trust my experiences more than the inconsistent words of others. I'm learning not to depend on someone who has been consistently untrustworthy, but at the same time realizing that that is no excuse to give up on the whole human race. Facing reality means accepting that many of my experiences in Al-Anon demonstrate that there are people upon whom I can rely. I think that's a great introduction. I do too. I'm really happy with that. When I was thinking about this question of trust, and in particular in response to an email that we got from a listener that we'll read a little bit later, I realized that that trust is an issue that goes both ways. And I think the last time we talked about trust, which was in episode 91 at therecovery.show slash 91, I think we talked mostly about how we trust or don't trust other people or situations, but it really goes both ways. And sometimes we find that we're not trusted in, in some way that other people have trouble trusting us sometimes. And sometimes we have trouble trusting them. And as I thought about it a little more, I thought, well, it's also, there are different aspects or facets of trust that I might trust somebody to get dinner on the table to, to put it in a very trivial context, I might trust somebody to manage the finances of the family. But I might, and this is very personal for me, I might not completely trust them emotionally. I might not trust them with some intimate details of my life. That's something that I have struggled with, actually. Uh, and I'm finding a way towards giving that full trust to a person who, in the alcoholic phases of her life, was not trustworthy with that sort of thing. And I'm still 
sort of recovering from from that. And it, it, at least Alan I gives me the tools to recognize that I only trust in certain ways and that that's something that I need to let my higher power help me with. So what is trust? You know, that's a really good question. As I was thinking about it this week, I love helping with the podcast because it gives me this really intense week in advance where I am thinking very deeply about a particular topic. And it gives me a chance to ruminate and then let it rest. And then I'll come up with more ideas later. So I was thinking, well, what happens when I don't trust someone? What am I feeling? And usually what I'm feeling is fear. Mm. I'm feeling either a fear of being judged, and that ties in with low self-esteem, especially when I started the program, this perceived need to be perfect. Uh, and if I was not perfect, I was unlovable. So if I was being judged, that was a really dangerous thing for me. It was really threatening. The other thing is a fear of being hurt. And hurt, like you mentioned, I can be hurt emotionally, physically. The hurt can be unintentional or it can be intentional. There's a lot of different ways that I can be hurt. I guess when I trust someone, I have a confidence that that person is not going to harm me intentionally. And the fact that humans are humans and we do harm each other unintentionally at times. I do it sometimes and other people. And that's kind of a different feel in my world as long as it's not super repetitive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I did the, uh, the thing of, of looking up a definition so dictionary.com says, trust is a firm belief in the reliability, truth, ability, or strength of someone or something. So that's sort of the positive definition, but I also really connect with your understanding that a reason to not trust is a fear, a fear of being hurt, a fear of something not getting done those are all reasons that I would have for, for maybe not placing trust. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes, it, like the reading, those fears are really well-founded. Absolutely. You know, sometimes the other person hasn't shown themselves to be trustworthy. But the flip side of that is that so much of it is internal for me. So much of it is tied into the work of the program. That fear I have is maybe not necessarily reasonable or it's something that's developed as part of my need for recovery. I was extremely fearful when I came to the program. So it may be a trust issue that, that's on my side of the street. And again, it's tied in, it may be tied in with past experience. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So we have a, sort of a pair of questions here about having trouble trusting or having had trouble trusting other people. And are there people that you do trust and how do you know? that they're trustworthy. I think when I'm not trusting somebody, it's either, yes, so I have or have had trouble trusting other people, as I already said uh, earlier, but sometimes it's based on something that happened in the past. So I trusted somebody with something and I thought it was confidential and they told other people and you know, I was hurt, embarrassed, shamed, whatever. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I asked them to do something and they didn't 
where they did it in a way that didn't achieve the result I was looking for. And so it's like, well, okay, I asked you to wash the dishes and we ended up with some dishes that were still dirty. So maybe I don't trust you to wash the dishes. How about you? Where have you had trouble trusting? It's funny because it's really subtle in my life. On the surface, I feel like I'm a really trusting individual. I'll I'll start out with a baseline level of trust with someone, but it's not super deep, you know, and I'll sometimes I'll tell them TMI probably, you know, but it's still not super deep, super personal. I had difficulties trusting almost everybody that was not super close family, and I actually kept that too. I think that's part of that being coming to Al-Anon and having been so closeted. I had over the years become so fearful that I didn't trust others at all. Nobody was allowed into my house. We didn't have guests over at all. I really didn't have friends except for my family. I was hiding the secret from my family, I thought, of my first husband's drinking. Anything that anybody said to me, I mean, he could look at me cross-eyed and I would have taken it personally. And my poor husband at the time, I must have been a really difficult person to live with. I have never blamed the marriage dissolution purely on him. It was definitely a two-way street. And then with him, I got to the point, and I think I've told this story before on the podcast, it was it was emotional safety primarily. I mean, it felt like, you know, I had these points of vision, these gates from King Kong. <laughs> the King Kong movie with Jessica Lange, you know, these big, huge wooden gates, you know, on my heart on my chest for open and he was just lobbing these spears at me mm-hmm. and one day those gates closed and they never opened up again I mean we have an amiable relationship right now but it's never gone deeper never been able to trust him with anything more than the most superficial pleasantries and positive thing there's no giving of myself who I really am I I don't even talk to him about my birthday, nothing. So that's how I got into not trusting it was on all levels. And then as I worked through the program, and that was just, you know, understanding that that dynamic of insecurity and taking things personally and perfectionism, that was really the key to me being able to trust other people. Because as I was able to, as I've, stronger in myself, then I wasn't as vulnerable. You know, I didn't get hurt as easily. And so the fear diminished and I could trust people more. And as that happened, then I found that oh, maybe if somebody did a small little betrayal or a small little something and it just didn't hurt as badly, I could live with it. Mm-hmm. But that that took quite a bit of working through the steps, especially my sponsor, and step four, really looking and understanding who I was. How about you? Well, I want to look at the the other question. Do I have people I can trust, and how do I know they're trustworthy? As I was thinking about it, I was realizing that there's sort of two different ways in which I do that. One is through experience. And I'll use a a work example here. Over the past year, and I know I've talked about this, but over the past year we had 
a large project uh, that I was leading a team of, oh, eight people in doing part of this large project. We had you know, a particular set of goals for our team to meet. At the beginning, the team was new. Some of the people on the team, I had not worked with them before. And they were not used to working in the way that we work. They had come from another organization that we had merged with. And they had worked in a different way. And so at the beginning, I really effectively did not trust them to do their work to the I don't know, specifications and standards that we had for that work. And so I was carefully checking everything they did, being very detailed in my feedback. So this is a computer software. And so somebody's writing a piece of computer software. And then we have a process where somebody else reads what they've written and comments on it with the goal of improving it. And at the beginning, I was very detailed and I read every single change. As we moved on, I saw that they were, for lack of a better phrase, getting it, that they were producing good quality, and that the other members of the team, that the whole team was coming together and cross-checking each other. And I was able to put trust in the team, in the members of the team, to do their work without me always checking it. And that freed me up to do the stuff that I was actually supposed to be doing along, you know, so at the beginning I was like doing double work because I was doing my work and I was checking their work. So in that particular scenario, trust came through experience. Seeing that, yes, I can trust this person to do the work properly to meet the goals that, that we're getting to. And towards the end of it, the team was really working very effectively together we had a significant part of the project to do. According to our project manager, we were the team that was most at risk of not meeting our goal in terms of how much work we had to do and how fast we were working. We actually met our, well, we missed our goal by two days out of a year. And we thought that was pretty good. And everybody else thought that was pretty good. And we weren't the last team to finish either. So being able to put the trust in the team, I think, enabled the team to work better and also enabled me to do my work without worrying about what was happening. But it, it did come through experience. The other thing that, that occurred to me as I was thinking about trust and trustworthiness and how I place trust in people has to do with the way that I trust people in the program. I trust that I can go to a meeting and I can bear my soul to a group of people, some of whom I may never have met before, but because we're all there for this common purpose of recovery and because we more or less have internalized the concepts of anonymity and so on, I can trust the meeting with my pain or with my joy, with my questions with my fears and my anxieties. And that doesn't come from experience with each of the individuals in the meeting. It comes from, I think, experience with going to meetings and doing this in general, but also from the vulnerability that other people show in the, in that situation. That 
wow, they're opening up. You know, this is where at the beginning, these people are like, whoa, they're like talking about this stuff just openly. Maybe I can do that too. Exactly. Those were my thoughts about developing trust, about finding people to be trustworthy. How about you? Yeah, I really think the slogan, one one day at a time, one step at a time, is is key to this particular issue, as is the slogan, act as if. And it is very much the same thing. You know, both the outside down on the especially inside down on there are it's all throughout the program. I, I had written down and thought about the same thing you said about meetings, is that you know, I could say things and I was never rejected. I didn't even show up for a meeting and I know there's going to be a meeting there. I mean, it's amazing how I've even shown up for meetings for the person who wasn't there to open the door. Three of us just found another room. Oh, okay, let's find another place. And we still had a meeting in it. I, I said before, I'm listening to all the podcasts kind of starting at the very beginning and it's amazing how long it takes me to listen to them. <laughs> yeah. Them a lot. But I'm up to uh, right around the old trust ish episode. And you had told a story of going to a meeting when you kind of were really into it. And hardly anybody else was there because there was some kind of a big event, Al-Anon event locally that day. And a newcomer came. How important that was and how you can trust that even in a situation like that, there's going to be some of us there and some newcomers there and, and find the help that they need. And I, that just struck me as being something that's really amazing about this program that is so not centrally controlled. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. And then, and then working the program, like I mentioned to others, um, my relationship with my sponsor has been a lot about um, trust, obviously. And it doesn't start out, you know, bearing everything. I think there's a reading where they talk about, well, I told my sponsor some of my step four, the things I was most comfortable talking about. And mm-hmm. then I gave them a little bit more when they showed they could trust me. And I think that's the thing about trust. Is I think for me, I kind of give everybody a basic amount of trust, but it's evidence-based. If you make a mistake, I understand. But if that mistake happens multiple times, you can lose my trust. I'll give you a basic trust. But it builds over time. I've been with my sponsor for 11 years. And just a few months ago, I finally shared with her the deepest, darkest, worst thing on my inventory. Mm-hmm. And it was you know, as lovingly received as anything else I've ever told her. And in turn, and she's been in the program, I think, over 30 years now, she was able to tell me something that she had never told anyone. It was a really incredible experience, but that's, you know, that's a building that's taken years and years. And it's just like the program, you know, you don't do it for a year and then walk away and say, okay, done with that, I'll fix. You know, it's, yeah. you know, I've been in for 12 years and I think you've been in longer than I have, but because you're working it, because you're thinking about it and focused and you're working the picture and the meetings and the everything, there's always some new facet of yourself. That is true. 
I wouldn't get that without Alan. What about trust in a higher power? Is that something that you have found to be, well, have you found it and, and how has it supported you, I guess? I've kind of talked a lot just now. Do you want to answer that question first, Spencer, and then I'll answer? Sure, sure, yeah. So one of the, you know, one of the key elements of our recovery is trust that we have a higher power that can, as step two puts it, restore us to sanity, um, that can bring maybe joy and serenity back into our lives that had been full of fear and anger and anxiety. You know, for me, I can't touch my higher power. I can't see my higher power. And except sort of in the still voice in my mind, I don't hear my higher power directly. So developing trust that something I can't see, touch, or hear will help restore me to sanity has been has been a journey for me. I am now, after, what, 15 years in the program, and it didn't take all of 15 years to get here, okay, but I'm at a place where I do trust that I have a higher power that wants the best for me and that it is up to me to pay attention and to follow the suggestions that I get. And when I do that, and this is the, the sort of reciprocality or the reinforcing aspect of trust, when I do that, then my life gets better, remains okay, whatever it is, you know. And so that's, that's where and sort of how I have that trust. And we have a question here about, is there a difference between trust and faith? And I can only, at the moment, answer that sort of semantically. Like, I have faith that, as as one of our readings puts it, I have faith that the sun will come up in the morning. I have faith that the other drivers on the road will stay in their lane. Do I trust that the sun will come up in the morning? I, you know, I can't, I can't really put that word in that sentence. Maybe I trust the other drivers. I don't trust the other drivers. I have faith in the other drivers. I don't trust them. Um, you know, I drive defensively, but I have faith that everybody else wants to drive the best they can. And that lets me focus on the things I can control, the things I can change, as the Serenity Prayer has it. So I, I find that there is a difference for me that trust is something that I place in or on a person or an object, an organization. Faith is more nebulous. It doesn't have, for me, a sort of target. That's not the word I want, but it's the only word that I can think of. Uh, what does that mean to you? Uh, let's, it's just here. What if you the exact opposite of the same analogy? <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, then. For me, trust is evidence-based. I trust those other far drivers on the road. Now, there may be a wonky one out there who's going to break that trust, but I trust because every day I'm out there driving on the road, and it is it stuns me that we're supposed to have accidents all the time because we're going past each other at these high speeds, and, you know, everybody pretty much stays in their lane. 
I actually have trust there because on every day I feel like I see I've got evidence that that system works the vast majority of the time. Faith, on the other hand, to me, is something that doesn't have, there's no evidence for. And that's where I think the, the act as if and let go and let God has really come into play for me mm-hmm. in terms of trusting my higher power. So I have faith that my higher power exists without really good solid proof that a higher power exists. And there are atheists in our program and they get to make that so integral and important is it. Mm-hmm. We get to define that higher power however works for us. So I have I have faith in my higher power because I don't have any evidence of it. Somebody who's an atheist and their higher power is their group, they can have more than faith, they can have trust because they have a group of people they're seeing every week and it's there for them. But even so, my faith is supported, exactly like you said, by evidence um, that comes through my recovery. So. I think I started the program in faith because I had no evidence. There's just like, okay, these people are supposed to help out with alcoholism. I'm going to have faith that they can do something I had no evidence for whatsoever. Over time, I built trust because I gained the evidence that reflected that. And then in terms of my higher power, it's a really interesting question. Well, what I did was I got to step six, which I think mm. it became entirely willing to turn that right? Yeah. I will my life over to God. It's it's the one about being entirely ready to have God remove our defects of character, I think is the wording. There you go. There you go. Thanks. And wow, that stopped me cold as, because I was like, wait a minute. I cannot, I cannot work with this God. I cannot trust this God because I was still working with my, I hadn't really defined my higher power. So I had to go back to step three. And step three in my book, Paths to Recovery, I kind of put a little word next to each step that was kind of the, the focal point for me. Mm-hmm. And step three was trust. So I think if I were to go back and look again, and I wish I'd done this, but if someone's having trust issues, you might consider reading chapter three in Paths to Recovery. I seem to remember that one was really helpful to me. And it was particularly helpful to go back and look step three in terms of really looking at who the higher power was that I grew up with. And that was tied in with a lot of the perfectionism issues and self-esteem issues. And who is the higher power that I come to see and believe in and to embrace that and to let go of old concepts and to really decide that this, this new defined, newly defined higher power was someone that I could something that I could start and trusting something so important as removing my defects. Mm-hmm. But that also took time. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't just out of the blue. I think for me in those steps six and seven, where we have to trust our higher power to remove our defects of character, our shortcomings, whatever that trust that, this would work again, came back to evidence. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I had, so yeah, so I had faith that this was something that could help because I heard the experiences of other people, but I hadn't felt it myself yet. Right. Mm-hmm. 
So that's some kind of evidence, but not personal. And then I had some experiences where I had asked for a particular character defect to be removed, and I suddenly found myself able to act in new ways that were counter to the ways I had acted out of that particular defect. So there was evidence that this process of being ready and asking worked. And again, you know, I can't touch my higher power, I can't see my higher power, but I can have trust and faith that this process does work. And unfortunately, it doesn't necessarily work in my time. Sometimes it does, (laughs) but sometimes it takes longer. Sometimes I need lots and lots of reminders that this is not something I want to do anymore. And, and, you know, my higher power is happy to give me those reminders. It seems like. One more thing I found with, with developing trust in my higher power. I think a lot of us are like this. I know I will tend to take responsibility for a problem and work on the problem myself. And, you know, when we say, let go and let God, we're not saying, yeah, just throw it all to the wind. You don't have to worry about anything or bother with anything. Yep. Something that really gains my trust in my higher power was when I had issues that, and it was really a learning experience. I'd have issues and I'd have gone around and around and around on them, or I'd worked the four step and I'd done everything I could that I could see and, and had talked about it and read about it and done all my own work. And I was at an impasse. I'd done everything I could. And then the acting as if, let go and let God, and that was a huge change for me. And finding that, that gave me peace. Didn't have to fix everything, but at that point in time, being able to recognize I've done everything, I am doing this conscious act, letting go of this, and turning it over to my higher power, other people's higher powers, world's higher power, has given me incredible, incredible moments of eternity that just wouldn't have happened otherwise. Mm -hmm. So that was actually another building block for my relationship with my Yeah. We've talked some about how we find trust, but I wanted to maybe focus in a little bit and see if there are particular program tools, particular steps, slogans, other things that that we hear about in the program that are helpful in developing trust. Other than what we've already talked about, (laughs) if we developed an ability to trust, how did that happen? And I want to go back to this coming to meetings and hearing people be vulnerable Mm -hmm. and being vulnerable in response. Developing, Developing a relationship with a sponsor or... I guess I have this experience uh, uh, of working the steps in a group, which I'm in the middle of my third time with that. And when the group first comes together, we are five, eight, ten strangers. We've seen each other in meetings, maybe. I think my first group included some people that I had not met because several of us were out sort of finding people to be in the group. And so they came from different meetings that maybe I hadn't been to. So we come in, we don't know each other. 
we know we're all in the program. And so there's that base level of trust of the principles of anonymity and, you know, what we say here stays here. We worked out of the paths to recovery book, the, the times I've done this. And so it's good because we start in with step one, which has a little bit of personal stuff in it, but it's, it's also very much about our relationship with the outside world rather than our inner relationship with ourselves. And as we work through those steps and we get a little deeper with step two, all these different concepts of higher power or no concept of higher power. And where do we go with that? And step three, making this decision to put some faith in our higher power to help us. And then we get to step four. And by the time we get there, we have developed a level of trust that lets us work step four together. And and I've had this experience several times. That process of working through the steps together helped to develop trust. I don't know if that's a program tool or something, but it it, it certainly is, is an experience that I've had. And in the case of my first group, at the end of the two and a half years, I think we met as we worked through all 12 steps, I still, for most of them, didn't know where they lived. I didn't know their last name. I might not know what their job was. All these things that in a, in a normal relationship come first, mm-hmm. maybe never came, but, but the level, the depth of trust that we had of each other was, was really strong. And that is something that like, I don't experience anywhere else. Yeah. I, and I can't, I'm just like, I've heard you talk about these groups before. I can't imagine ending a group like that. The bonds <laughs> would be so close. It would be hard to walk away at the end of the last question after after your 12th step. Yeah. Um, and the, the interesting thing is that from my first group, there's only a couple of people that were in that group that I still see in meetings. Uh-huh. It's interesting. Because, yeah. Some of them have moved away. Others may still be coming to meetings, just not the same meetings I come to. Uh-huh. But it's interesting. Yeah, it does end. I think with the first group, like after two and a half years, we were kind of like, okay, yay, we're done. <laughs> <You know? laughs> we had this goal. We met it. Um, see you around. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I hear you. It is, it is a special thing. Same thing with a sponsor-sponsee relationship, you know, developing that level of trust to be able to do step five and really open up, or maybe not completely, which I think both of us have had that experience also. I'm not going to talk about this thing. (laughs) Not quite yet. Not quite yet. (laughs) Give me time. (laughs) Exactly. Another thing we haven't mentioned is the 12 traditions. And I think there's two things that really help us. So we have all this phenomenal trust that kind of comes to the program and it's got this running start. You're already, you know, halfway around the track with trust that you've got all of everything put in place in a program that's built on trust. And then how do you take that out into the outside world? And there's a couple things that I think help us because when I when we have a trust issue, that for after the letter. 
just say that that with the twelve traditions, they give us they give us guidelines for working with other people. Now, you know, you you put that the twelve steps kind of help us work on ourselves. Twelve traditions help us be out there in the world working with other people. And they you know they guide how our groups work, and then we get a practice that in our groups practice a group conscience, which how many of us have really grown up in a world or in a family or work at a place where, you know, if you tried to do a group conscience, everybody would look at you like, are you nuts? <laughs> <laughs> but, but those 12 traditions give me the tools to guide my own behaviors. And they've really given me the tools for expectations out in the world. So I had a big project this fall. And for the first time, I wasn't doing it all by myself. I had three other people in the group that was working with me. And it was just wonderful. I'm trying to remember which tradition I had just been working on. But it was it was talking all about I, I used the green the green book, reaching for personal freedom. And I'm working through it a, a step, a tradition, and then a concept. So I'm doing Step one, tradition one, concept one, through the book. Mm-hmm. So I'd gotten up into this place where it was talking about being able to let go and not basically micromanage everybody around you. And it was exactly what I needed at the time. And it was a much more successful event because I had four people with input and, you know, and I handed things over. I was really good about not double-checking it. I did some crafting of the format, maybe, for the posters or something, but, you know, they put on those posters what they wanted to put on, and I did not micromanage them. And it's a really good example of how traditions help you give you guidelines for really evaluating your relationships in that outside world, and how do you want to approach those relationships and experience It's true, Yeah. And I'm going to take it one step further and say, and then there's the 12 concepts, which are sometimes referred to as the 12 concepts of service, which are, to me, I see those as guidelines for working within an organization. And they're particularly focused at the organization of the the larger Al-Anon, you know, not the single group. The traditions are more mostly about what happens in a single group. So... Mm-hmm. When I take those into my life, it's like, how do I interact with other people in my family or other people in my small team at work? And then the concepts get into this notion of different levels of authority and responsibility, different areas, arenas of authority and responsibility. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It very much is about trust. It's about trusting that the person with the authority or the responsibility, and hopefully that's the same person, but to do a particular task is going to do it effectively. In order for my organization to work effectively, I need to put that trust. Mm-hmm. And it also gives me guidelines for how how to put that trust, I think. And I'm glad you brought that up because I hadn't really even thought about those as tools that we use for having trusting relationships with other people whether it's family work or whatever. Yeah. So the concept, I found a concept that I was working on that was really helpful is concept eight. So I'm going to read the concept eight. 
The Board of Trustees delegates full authority for routine management of Al-Anon headquarters to its executive committee. <laughs> Sounds so dry. <laughs> Terrible. So, like, how does this apply to me, right? Exactly. Where do you get anything useful out of that statement? But I really would strongly recommend anybody who wants a workbook, and um, I work on this on my personal time, and then I review it with my sponsor. Reaching for personal freedom yes. is just terrific. It's, and it takes these concepts and it interprets them into a way that's very personal and very applicable to your own recovery in your own life. Yeah. So I was actually able to use that. It, it, you know, some of the captions are here under the concept date is distorted responsibilities. Asking for help is not a character defect. <laughs> I needed help. I don't have to do it all the opportunity to learn. So I, I really would strongly recommend that as it's an incredible tool. for, And it does build trust. I mean, it's, it's like you said, when I start trusting these little things out in the world and I, I kind of keep my eyes open, like you with your new bath, and then let go. And, it, and it, it really is a big difference. Yep. So it, that brought a couple things to, to mind. One is that say my boss gives me a goal for my team to accomplish. His concern is to make sure that this goal is aligned with the organizational goals and that I have the knowledge and the resources to accomplish the work to reach that goal. And then he lets go and he trusts me and I trust my team to actually do the work and I think that's that fits that concept very well. Like the okay. you know he's the board of trustees in this case, and <laughs> I'm the executive committee. There you go. That's exactly right. Yeah. Just looking at a couple of slogans that that you listed that also have been helpful for developing trust, and and a couple of them that I see as sort of mutually interacting are keep an open mind and let it begin with me. So keep an open mind when I hear something that I don't agree with, when I hear something that I think is wrong, if I can keep an open mind that I might be wrong. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. My friend Gloria called that um, being open and curious. Yeah. And I found that really diffuses me. Yeah. I've been using that just the last week. It's like, wow, that totally diffuses me. Curious replaces feeling judgmental. Mm -hmm. That's kind of, mm -hmm. you know, closed and feeling judged versus <laughs> open and feeling curious. Yeah. 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 This week I had, I had my performance review at work, which sort of, you know, my fifth step, except my boss is telling me my character yeah. defects, right? Um, <laughs> the exact nature of my wrongs. Also the exact nature of my rights, if you will. And this, this time he highlighted that the way that I respond when somebody says something I don't agree with has changed. Oh, cool. My habit was to react sort of angrily, say, no, you're wrong. And... I'm not doing that. At least he hasn't seen me doing that, which is, you know, uh -huh. and I think that's true. What it enables me to do, I think this is about 
people trusting me so that they can bring up new ideas that I might not agree with. But if I keep an open mind and I'm I'm curious, rather than being closed-minded and judgmental, as you said, might actually be something that's much better than what I had or maybe us together. So they can trust me to, to say something that I might disagree with because I'm not reacting out of closed-minded and judgmental. Mm-hmm. And let it begin with me means um, if I want somebody to trust me, I have to exhibit that I'm trustworthy. Right. And I think that brings us maybe to um, this email that we got from a listener. So the writer says, I've been dealing with some trust issues with my partner that stem from issues in both our past, but especially his. I feel like the only way to get over trust issues is to keep moving forward and heal one day at a time. I've been practicing compassion for him and understand where he's coming from, but I don't feel like I deserve to not be trusted just because he was mistreated by other partners. I would love a show on trust issues, how to heal from them and deal with them in relationships. I think it might be nice to have the side of the Anon as well as the addict, as both have to deal with issues of trusting or not being trusted. This is my third romantic relationship with an addict. I have all those amazing codependent and adult child qualities that make me want to fix them all. And this is the first time I've been on this side of the trust issue. I feel totally blind in dealing with it because I'm usually the one not trusting the other. And while my partner is in recovery, he's not in a 12-step program and doesn't always relate to the language I use. I hope this is something we can get over because it's such a fundamental issue in any relationship. We both want to work on it as there is so much love and respect in our relationship. We are committed to growing together, but I'm just not sure how to build this foundation. I'd love to hear your opinions and the opinions of the listeners as well. I frequently listen and re-listen to the Forgiveness and Detachment podcast and find they help. So thank you for that. I love the show and find it a great support for my ongoing recovery. Yeah, and I want to thank the, the person who sent in that email. It I found it in one of my disorganized buckets of stuff to stuff to do, and it's maybe a couple of years old, but it's still totally relevant. Uh I really like the idea that the listener is working on forgiveness and detachment in this situation. Um, Understanding that this is something that is really an issue with the partner and that being able to sort of let go of wanting them to change on, you know, on, my schedule <laughs> is probably not going to happen. But I think it also gets to these questions that we have about how do we act in such a way that others develop trust in us that we haven't really talked about a lot yet. What are your thoughts? I, I actually have this situation with my partner. And it actually was coming to a head in the last couple of weeks. Uh, so I've been thinking about it pretty intensely. And I think... There's two aspects to it in terms of working the program. First one is that I have to do a step four. If my partner feels like I haven't been trustworthy or he's expressing trust issues around a topic, 
then I really need to do a step four around that. Make sure that I've really cleaned up my side of the of the street. And that's, again, part of that being open and curious rather being closed and feeling judged. But once I've looked at that, and I've had situations like this where they're really, I didn't have anything I did wrong there, um, or was a, a simple minimal fix and the response way out of proportionate to the, to the situation. And it's, for me, all about loving detachment. I have to be able to, and it's hard because, you know, he's my partner. I really care about what what he feels about me. You know, she says in her in there that they have a really good relationship, that it's a lot of love and respect, and they're committed to growing together. And to me, that's, that's the key right there, because then that trust will have an opportunity to slowly build. But this person, if they're an addict, they are also guaranteed qualifying for Al-Anon. They've got to have friends or family around them who are addicts also. So they are working through the same issues as she is or has in the past. And I think I so I kind of came up with the core thing, loving detachment. That's, that's the key there. I have to separate himself myself from that judgment that he's, he's turning around and he's taking my inventory. And I don't have to accept that inventory, which can be really difficult. And that's where reaching out to your, your program friends or sponsors is really super important. But then I talked to uh, my friend Gloria, and she had some interesting thoughts. She pointed out, she goes, you know, when I think about that, I think about what do I have control over? You know, we don't have control over people, places, or things. And that includes other people's opinions of us or other people's judgments of us. And then the other thing is, you know, we are actually not responsible for other people's triggers. If I click my tongue all the time unconsciously and it triggers my husband, well, I can work on that. That's not that big a deal. But I may do something that's completely benign and it triggers somebody else. still not responsible for that trigger. And that's kind of a hard one, I think, because we're we're caretakers and we're fixers, and we we don't want to make our other our partner unhappy. But that trigger is still their responsibility. I think that gets really difficult to manage and a little bit confusing at times. She used a phrase that equals love is let others voluntarily evolve, and that's also true. It's exactly what you said. He has work his program, he has to recover in his own time frame. You know, and the other thing that ties in with the open and curious thing that diffuses situations for me and has been working really well, and again, my friend Gloria suggested this, is when they're taking my inventory, if I simply say, ha, you might be right, or I'll think about that. Mm -hmm. I can even say just, oh, gosh, I have to think about that. And that doesn't acknowledge it, but it does leave me time to take it and think about it later. It doesn't say, yes, you're right, I'm a bad person or I've done all these things, you know, or your attitude about me is right at this point in time. But it does say, gosh, okay, I acknowledge that you're feeling that and that you've told me that, and I will think about that. Um, And I think those are all really important. How about you? I was thinking about 
couple of things. One is when you talked about triggers, I had an experience the other night. We were getting ready for bed and my wife brought up a topic that I didn't want to talk about at the moment. I was kind of cranky. I wasn't, I was feeling a little under the weather. It was bedtime. I was sleepy and I responded sharply. And as we were settling down, the lights were off. She said something like, I wish you hadn't said that because now I don't know I can get to sleep. Okay, so I'm not responsible for the fact that me snapping at her puts her in that emotional state, but I am responsible for the fact that I snapped at her. Mm-hmm. I thought about it for a little while, and then I said, you know, I'm I'm sorry I was cranky. And I, and I recognized that, you know, she, from whatever, you know, comes in her past, feels, let's say, slights more strongly than I do. And I'm not responsible for that, but I can adjust the way, I can change the way that I interact with her so that I can be, you know, more emotionally trusted um, yeah. by her. So that's, that's one example where, that I thought of as you were, as you were talking. I'll have to think about that. You might be right. Those are, those are ones that, that I used a lot when she was still active in her addiction. I need to, and this is another thing, like in our relationship, it is important that I acknowledge that she said something. My sort of default behavior, if somebody says something that is evidently true or that maybe I don't like the implication my behavior is typically to ignore and to not do anything. And that doesn't work. I need to acknowledge. Yeah. And she's actually going to push on me. Like, did you hear me? These are things I'm learning. I mean, you know, we've only been together 37 years. I'm still learning. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Progress, not perfection. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there were some safety issues about that letter that I thought about. One comes from my first marriage. His inability to trust me was used at some point in time as a a tool of manipulation. Mm. So that's a possibility. Think about that. The other thing that's a little worrisome is if somebody said, oh, I don't trust you. What are they not trusting? Are they looking at your emails? Are they monitoring your phone calls? Are they not letting you go out by yourself? You know, there there are actions they could be taking as a means of not, you know, to say when they don't trust you that may need some boundary setting Hmm. and you may need to think about in terms of safety or what's acceptable to you in a relationship. So just not specifically for this relationship because it seems like there are some cues there that that's not necessarily going on, but I think that is a safety concern I have around the issue of trust from a partner to you. Yeah. To an Illinois. Hadn't thought about that, but yeah, it's, it's certainly true. Did we talk about what we can do to help other people develop trust? I think we have to some extent. Yeah, I think that's the traditions. And I think, yeah. I think, I think when we work our program, we grow and we change. You know, I think the greatest you did, you mentioned that somebody, your your boss in your evaluation basically said, you know, good job. You're not getting 
pissed off anymore and people trust you and you're working better with your teammates. Like that. that. And I, you know, had the same thing. Sometimes the best reflection that we've become trustworthy is, you know, what other people say to us. And I've had people say, oh gosh, you've changed so much. Or, you know, I can't imagine you being the way you describe yourself in the past. Or literally, I can trust you. I, I may feel comfortable telling you. You sent me a, an essay that your friend wrote about trust. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I like her opening paragraphs here. When I was growing up, I remember hearing people say, good relations are built on trust, and relations have to be built on trust. And that trust is something that is built through reliability, assurance, certainty, and conviction. This was what I thought trust was all about. People had to prove themselves worthy of our trust. Now, my belief about what trust is all about is simpler and taken from a saying that I was struck by when I read it a while back. The saying is, I trust and believe that I live in a friendly world. I have gently gathered up this quote and taken it in as one of my basic core beliefs. That second paragraph in particular, I think, reflects how I feel in meetings. That at least that part of my life is friendly. You know, there are other parts of my life that don't feel so friendly. And maybe this is something that I need to work on. But, wow, this is all about attitude and how we approach life and our relationships with other people. If we approach our relationships with other people from the position that they want to do well, rather than from the perspective of this person might hurt me and I'm not going to trust them until they prove they won't. That first one approaching from, you know, yeah, this person's probably a good person until they prove otherwise. That's a lot easier way to live, you know? Yeah, there's, I'm just going to read one more paragraph from this note because it, it was just, it really sums it up about attitude. Remembering this saying is a guiding force when confronting my struggles, my dark thoughts, and decisions I make daily. I chose to trust and believe that I live in a friendly world because believing the alternative brings me suffering. The thought of not trusting my universe takes me to a place of anxiety, isolation, fear, anger, resentment, and depression. The thought of trusting and believing that I live in a friendly world brings me joy, love, hope, an open and curious heart, compassion, and kindness. I love that. And I feel like that's actually maybe a good place to stop. Oh, I think it's a perfect place to stop. I think it just really is a nice summary statement. Yeah. I do want to add, now that we said it's a good place to stop, I do want to add the reminder and quote from the reading we opened with. This again was from Courage to Change, page 232, August 19th. Today, I make a commitment to be honest with myself. By facing reality, I become someone I can depend on. And the quote, awareness is so much better for me than closing out all feelings, shutting out people, withdrawing from living. No matter how hard the truth is or what the facts are, I prefer to know, look at, and accept this day. And that's from the Al-Anon publication, As We Understood. And I think that really resonates with the paragraph you just read from your, your friend's essay, too. Yeah. Okay, well, we like to pick music, and you picked a couple of songs. What you got here? We do. Uh, so I, 
I am not a music person, and I never can think of songs on my own when you ask me to. But this one actually came up, and it's the song The Snake Sings in the Jungle Book, Disney's uh, Jungle Book, Trust in Me. So it's sung in that, in the particular link that I gave you, it's sung by Sterling Holloway. I think there's a, a more updated version out there, too. I just think the relationships and in, in relationship development are obvious. If you can watch the video that goes with it, it's hilarious. Is it a clip from the movie? It that is. goes with the song? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I do remember that in the, the snake, who is obviously a character not to be trusted. Right. 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 Is, is being very convincing uh-huh. about, trust me. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, what's happening in our meetings and our lives this week. And I was thinking back over the week, I just came this morning from my step meeting. We were talking about step 11 and I reflected, there's a, there's a sentence in the reading in past recovery about acknowledging that changes in ourselves may be a result of our prayer and meditation that we practice in this program of putting our, putting our lives into the care of our higher power. And, and I reflected on the thing I talked about where my boss said, look, you've really improved here. Uh-huh. I mean, there was some, some conscious practicing of new behavior in that, but you know, it wasn't something I set myself like a goal of, I'm not going to do this old behavior. It's it, it really came from working the program and continuing to work the program over the years. That was a nice little connection there. Thinking otherwise over the week, over the last couple of weeks, I've met with a couple of new sponsees that are early in the steps. And, you know, we say that receiving an Al-Anon call or working as a sponsor helps us at least as much as it helps the other person. And I'm finding in these new sponsees challenges in my understanding of parts of the program because... You know, they're like, I have a question about, I don't understand these questions in past recovery just don't make any sense to me for this step. And so that challenges me to dig into my understanding and see if I can find a way to talk about my understanding that maybe makes sense to my sponsee. It's been challenging, but it's also been really rewarding to do that. Otherwise, it's been a a pretty quiet week. I did give myself a mental health day yesterday, partly because it's the end of the year, and if I don't take the days, I'll lose them, but partly because it's been a stressful year, and just having a day where I had absolutely no responsibilities. I Well, I did meet with my, my boss for my performance review. That was the only you know, I, when I asked for the day off, I said, but I will come in for the performance review. So, you know, then he would approve it. Right. I went to the gym. I did some shopping for my daughter's birthday presents. I had lunch with friends. It was a good day, you know, and I had an afternoon that had no obligations in it whatsoever, except to work on the script for the podcast. And it gave me time to do that without feeling pressured. You know, that's taking care of myself. It's something that I don't know that I would have thought to do without 
what I've learned in this program in recovery. How about you? Yeah, I usually go to manage to make at least one meeting. I have a very unusual schedule, and thankfully, there's a meeting that we Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays within short driving distance where I am. And, and the week just conspired for no meetings. But what was really different this week was actually working that issue of my partner's trust in me and then preparing for the podcast. So I did a lot of journaling and reading, and I did self-care and went for a walk, and I called my, my Helen on phone buddy, Gloria. It was a different kind of week because I was working so intensely around this one particular issue for myself. Other than that, I've been, I've, you can tell I've got a cold. Well, I'm glad that you were able to, uh, to do this despite the cold. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and I did want to say, you know, you're asking for feedback. I listened to the most recent podcast. I always listen to the most recent podcast and then go back and listen to the older ones as I'm working up through them. And you're asking for feedback on your fifth anniversary show. I actually really like this section of the show because to some extent, the, the topic section, section is kind of theoretical. Mm-hmm. But I just really like hearing the little little points in your life and in your other guest life. It just kind of is very down to earth. Which is why we do it, right? It's why we yeah. do it that. Recovery does work in all aspects of our life. Yeah, yeah. Upcoming topics, I've been talking about doing some more episodes on parenting. Parenting, just parenting in general. I've got, um, I think, some con- some contributions about that. Parenting as the sober parent in a relationship. I know I have some contributions about that. And parenting as um, the parent of uh, an alcoholic or addict child. Also is, uh, I think I've got some, so I'm, I'm piling up stuff here, but if you want to contribute to one or more of those episodes, please do. And there are a number of different ways in which you can do that. And Pat, what are the ways that people can contribute to the show? Well, you can call the recovery show voicemail phone number at 734-707-8795. Let me say that again. 734 734- Seven zero seven eight seven nine five. You can call in the middle of your podcast, or you can call later. Um, you can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. Uh, if you don't want to use your voice, that's cool. You can send an email to feedback at the recovery dot show. Uh, we would really love to hear from you. Please share your experience strength, and hope, any questions you might have today or thoughts you have today about today's topic of trust or any of our upcoming topics, uh, including parenting. Um, or if you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, please let us know that too. And to work and our listeners find out more about The Recovery Show. That would be our website, which is therecovery.show, which has all the information about the show, including notes for each episode, uh, links to the music we play and talk about and and other links if we talk about a particular resource in an episode i try to put a link to that resource in the show notes and that would be at the recovery.show slash 228 for this episode uh, you can go to any episode by number the recovery.show slash number like uh, the other trust episode 91 so you could go to the recovery.show slash 91 we also have a contact page that has information about all the different ways in, in which you can contribute so if 
we went over all those things and it was like, whoa, I don't know. It's too much information coming at me. Just go to the recovery.show slash contact to, uh, to see all of those. What's our next song, Pat? This one I did a search for it's by Christina Perry called Trust. And this song, um, well, it has the word trust in almost every single line, but it really makes <laughs> me think of someone in Al-Anon who is moving forward. And they started working their program. They've had a rough go of it in the past with past relationships, um, especially around trust issues. But I love the conclusion that she comes to, which is that it's time to learn to trust again. Okay, we got some feedback this week. Uh, we had a voicemail from Gina. Hi, Spencer. This is Gina. I am calling because there's been a lot of things that have stood out to me lately in the episodes I've been listening to. Um, I tend not to go in any particular order, so I'm not sure how recent some of these are, and some of them I go way back and re-listen to the same thing over and over again. I think the two or three big ones that have stood out to me recently have been the adult child of an alcoholic episode where you talk to someone who was attending ACA meetings and practicing more of that program in addition to or instead of Al-Anon. Also, the episode on parenting as an adult child of an alcoholic. I don't have children yet. I am not married to an alcoholic, although we both have family members who drink, whether or not it's alcoholically or not is, I guess I've learned it's not really my place to judge. I do identify as an adult child of an alcoholic and my alcoholic parent identifies as a recovering alcoholic. So I feel like I can share that and say that definitively. I don't have children yet, like I said, but it was really helpful, I think, to listen to people who do have children and who are parenting and how they're implementing their program as they parent children. Um, I think a lot about how I, what qualities I want to instill in my children and what qualities I want to model for them and how I want to also model that in my marriage with my relationship with my husband. So uh, the things that really stood out to me from the parenting as an adult child of an alcoholic was um, unity as well as autonomy. In thinking about it, how it relates to my marriage now, we practice those things. He's not an Al-Anon program, not a language he speaks, but um, we do find, find it in, um, we talk jokingly sort of about what might be good or not good or for the good of the realm, meaning what's going to be good for both of us, what's going to be good for us as a family. And we also, I've been trying really hard to give him his autonomy and not control him and his decisions. I'm finding he's in the middle of changing career paths and while that's not, or at least trying to decide on a career, we're fairly young. So, there's time, but I'm finding that even though it's not drinking or using drugs or anything like that, I'm finding that I have a lot of the same feelings in response to some of the decisions that I would if he were. Hi, Spencer. It's Gina again. I got cut off. I didn't realize I had so much to say. So I respond or I feel similar to as if my husband sometimes were drinking even though or using drugs, even though that's not the issue. So this is a lot more about me and my my feelings and my reactions and my brain and my own illness in terms of the family disease of alcoholism. The second thing in terms of courage, I really appreciated that. 
because I um, am a fear-based person. I think a lot of my, I grew up not really feeling safe or always wanting to please the person, what was going to happen if I wasn't just so all of the time. It's been a big one learning to stand up for myself, even if it's just like no no, and thank you are both complete sentences, both complete ideas. And kind of implementing that and having boundaries. So um, I also wanted to share a song recommendation as far as courage. There's a song called Be Not So Fearful by A.C. Newman. It was on the soundtrack of The Walking Dead. And it's one of my favorites. And I think it speaks to um, letting go and finding peace. And by doing that through through courage. Um, anyway, thank you again for all of your hard work. And and thank you, Gina. Um, there was a lot, a lot in there. Her last discussion about courage and living as a fear-based person, I feel like that connects very nicely back to the idea of trusting that we live in a friendly universe. What do you think? I really like a lot of her commentary about how she and her husband are working together. I like talking about what for the good of the realm. <laughs> good of the realm, yeah. And and that connects right to the traditions also. Right, right. Tradition two, I think, and, ah. and one about unity and group conscience. Yeah, exactly. Got a letter from Pima who writes, Dear Spencer, congrats on five years. I found your podcast only about five weeks ago, but have listened intently to select episodes since. The content feedback community has all been wonderfully helpful. Your voice, vulnerability, and availability have a healing presence that, it's evident, help others access their own healing and recovery. Mine too. Thank you. In addition, as a media creative, I've appreciated your terrific formatting. I really enjoyed your five-year look back today. Your personal recovery, the growth of the podcast, and their relationship to each other make me nod my head inspired and in understanding. I also listened intently as you listed your continued challenges and in them perhaps caught a glimpse of higher power in action. I have been giving it up to God to show me where I can be of service with my particular skills and pathways. And today in your podcast process, I heard some areas in which I could be of help in a producing capacity. And Pima listed some specific ways that I think she might be able to help. When I went to my First Elena meeting in September, it felt like doors opened to a place I've longed to open for decades. I've since been to meetings in three cities as I've traveled and settled into a wonderful Al-Anon community in my home city. All this to say that if you think some assistance would be beneficial to your wonderful podcast and you would like help, either now and then or consistently, I would be really happy to chat or email about it. With appreciation for your service, Pima. Wow. Okay. So I put it out there and boom, back comes an offer that, well, now I'm challenged to pick it up, aren't I? Yep. We had a voicemail from Colleen about that same five-year anniversary episode. Spencer, this is Colleen out in East Tennessee. I had the opportunity to listen to your five-year anniversary reflection today. First, I want to tell you, first and foremost, how grateful I am for this podcast. It's such a gift for me to be able to turn to it on a very regular basis and and just kind of help me on my journey of recovery. And I know that you touch a lot of people with your efforts and 
the effort that you put into it is not lost on me, nor I think the rest of us. So thank you so much for, for your time and your hard work. I appreciated listening to the journey of the five years, how the podcast came to be, the different changes of shape that it has gone through. And your reflection on the format was really interesting. And I like the different formats that you offer, whether it's just you, whether it's multiple people, whether it's an open speaker. And in addition, I really like the segment about people's week in recovery because it helps me to be mindful about how has my week gone in recovery and where have I fallen short and what are some of my growing edges to put into practice. Probably the most comforting aspect, and this may sound terrible, but it's wonderful when people have a, uh, it's comforting, not wonderful, it's comforting to hear here when people maybe slip a little bit in their recovery because we all do. And it's just, you know, the thing that I love about Al-Anon is I know that I'm not alone. So the week in recovery segment is just so helpful. I appreciate it. I encourage you to just keep on keeping on as it is, as long as it makes sense for you to do so. I wanted to share just a thought about the Parenting, the first episode on parenting, I know that I was a contributor for that. But it was what struck me was the uh, different stages, I guess, of, of those of us who shared the four of us that made up the episode, where we are in our recovery, the different stages there. I'm only about six months in and I loved hearing the idea of tapping into the 12 steps from a parenting perspective, using the traditions from a parenting perspective and the concepts from a parenting perspective. And that's, you know, that's going to take some time for me right now. I'm just trying to get my soul in order (laughs) by bouncing around some of the steps and thinking about the traditions as they come up in my meetings. But that was just really useful and inspiring. I'm looking forward to when that starts to make sense for me to work on those things and and apply them in my life and in my parenting, as well as my other relationships. I'm just, that was really cool to hear. So thank you for that. I also had a question about parenting. And I don't know where this fits into the segment, but, you know, my qualifier is my brother. My brother is older than me. And he has a son who is around eight years old. And I've been concerned. It's just the two of them. His, The son's mother, my nephew's uh, mother, died a few years ago. So it's just the two of them. They're incredibly isolated. And they live very far away uh, from me, as well as most family members. Um, you know, there are times when... I get very concerned about the welfare and the well-being of my nephew, of course. And, you know, I wonder about where my responsibility begins and ends. I know that when it comes to my brother, you know, I just kind of a hands-off approach and let him deal with his consequences. But for an eight-year-old to to have to live with those consequences just seems a little rough, of course, to watch from the sidelines. And so I, I didn't know if maybe anybody had any guidance on that or if there's any aspect in a, a past podcast that you've done 
that you think might be helpful. I've spent a lot of time this week doing a lot of soul searching um, uh, as to whether or not it makes sense to call other people who might be able to check in on the situation. So that's just been very difficult. So when the parent isn't parenting, I guess, and there are those of us who are in the periphery, you know, what does that look like, I guess? Finally, you know, if you're at a loss for, um, you know, a fellow contributor or somebody to bounce ideas around with in, you know, doing the podcast, I'm, I'm happy to make myself available as it fits with my schedule. I have an extremely flexible schedule, uh, actually. So, um, you know, if you feel pretty daunted and you don't want to take on a topic alone, feel free to reach out to me. I'm, I'm fine with that. Again, I know that I'm only six months into the program. I have a lot of therapy behind me. And so I feel like um, a lot of my work in the program is maybe moving more quickly because of that. Of course, there is a lot of work left to be done. So I'd be happy to make myself available uh, so that the recovery show can continue and maybe not be quite such a I don't know if burden is the right word, but, um, or daunting, quite seems so daunting for you to continue. Yeah, feel free to use us, listeners, as, as you can. Thanks so much. Thanks, Colleen. Um, lot in there. I'm not sure I want to touch the, the parenting thing. I have not been in that situation of, um, you know, having a loved one who has a child that I'm worried about, but, you know, I have had friends in meetings who maybe are the grandparent and are really struggling with that question. And I think everybody has to come sort of to their own, their own place on it. One of the things that I think I have heard some of these friends talk about is just making themselves available to the child. Exactly. Spending time with the child and not trying to interfere with the parenting, but just being there as, as another adult right. who is providing a loving relationship. Yeah, exactly. You hit the nail on the head. I, was, I think there's two things there. One is, there's a theme here. I always come back to the safety issue. So, like, if, if the child is really, truly in a neglectful situation, and I had a friend who's by association, there were children that she was associated with, and when they were in another household, they were not getting food. They were being left alone for hours at a time. An 11-year-old was responsible for two younger ones with no food in the house, for example, or be cold. And they that's something that's dangerous. That's something that has to be reported. You know, that has to be addressed through CPS. If it's the child not getting care, not getting food, not getting health care. There's those are some basic safety issues for the child that should be reported. Yeah. Standing by and watching a child in a in a race in a home like that is really tough. And I think you're absolutely right. When you reach out to that child and as she works through a program and she may be able to spend more time with her brother and that relationship may heal or come to a more positive place. But reaching out to the nephew, sending cards if it's too far away, or making phone calls more frequently, whatever she can do to create a positive relationship with that child, you know, it 
the payoff may be years from now. It may be, you know, they turn 20 and you can get them into Al-Anon or they turn 20 and you're the adult in their life that's sane and they can recognize that they can turn to you for help. It gets, um, it gives them another relationship to look to and to see that things can be different. And back to the parenting things, you know, I think, I think what people don't realize is, you know, it's the old, the mobile analogy. When we start working on ourselves, when we're in Al-Anon, we change. And as we change, the family dynamics can't help but improve is how the, the saying goes, how the intro goes, and our closing one of the two. We change as we're working on ourselves. And it's wonderful to be able to take Al-Anon into your home and into your parenting and say, that's consciously what I'm going to do. I consciously bring these principles in. But as you're working on yourself, you're already bringing those principles in. Your children are already seeing changes. And they get to see an example of someone who is an adult consciously working on themselves and consciously improving themselves. And that's huge right there. So I would say that she's already bringing a lot to the table for her children and her family just by being an Alan. Thank you. Um, would you like to read Lauren's email? Sure. So we have an email from Lauren. Hi, Spencer. Thank you so much for the recovery show. I have been a grateful member of Al-Anon for almost five years and just learned about your podcast in the last few months. I have been leaning more into my recovery, and I added the voices of you, your co-hosts, open speakers, and listeners who called in throughout my day. I think it has helped tremendously in how I am functioning, as I have very recently learned that my qualifier is, quote, officially in a relapse after almost five years in recovery. So a very big general thank you for this extra source of support. As a side note, I often put the podcast on a sleep timer, so health and recovery is the last thing I hear before I drift to sleep, and I am able to sleep these days, which is a huge blessing. Five years ago, I relied on alcohol and benzos. This is a big help. Mm -hmm. I've been meaning to tell you also that your inclusion of recovery-related music resonates so strongly with me. I started my own Spotify recovery playlist years ago. I call it Empower. And I've included songs that run the gamut from I'm True With You to Thank Goodness For The Love And Support Of Others to Live In This Day and I Accept Life On Life Terms. To be honest, I think there should be conference-approved music. P.A.M. <laughs> Some of the songs suggested you've included have found their place into my playlist. Thank you, thank you, thank you for it. And and thank you, Lauren, for the the vote of support. And thanks to everybody who has already responded to the the five year retrospective episode with such messages of support for what I'm doing. You know, my my little uncertainties, my anxieties, and you're like, no, things are good, and I love that. And you know, one of the things that sometimes I'm like struggle with maybe the word here is finding music that is relevant to the episode, to the topic. I'm like, Oh man, gotta go find it. I enjoy it when I find it. And, and you know, there's a reason I do it. Uh, but I, I also wonder sometimes like, yeah, is this adding value? And then I hear from somebody like Lauren that it is so adding value. And, and that, you know, gives me motivation to keep on going with it. Um, you know, like you said today, like you always, I, 
I can't think of music. And then you came up with two. And so trust there, like I thought about asking you about music and, and I didn't. And then boom, there it was like two out of three songs. You picked them. I was like, yay. (laughs) (laughs) Got a iTunes review from somebody who signs themselves as achieving serenity in Australia. Review is titled fantastic. I am using these podcasts as a way to learn more about myself and how to achieve serenity. I have just started on the 12 steps and I'm listening to your sessions in order. Many thanks. Keep up the great work. And if they're listening in order, it will be a little while before they get to hear me reading that review. But thank you for the review because they help to keep us visible in iTunes uh, for people who are seeking some recovery. Uh, And of course, you found it because you're listening. Other people haven't yet. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show, but we do have expenses, which run about $60 a month. Actually, it's a little more than that, but it's fine. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear in a couple of ways. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Mary and Lauren did. And thank you again, Mary and Lauren, for that support. We have put together a list of recovery-related books. Click on the books link at the top of the page, and if you order one of these books from Amazon through our website, we will receive a small commission. It costs you nothing extra and helps to keep us on the air. Thank you for your support in whatever form you give it, whether it's sharing the podcast with your friends, simply direct them to therecovery.show, or just listening to us. We are here for you. And I picked the last song. I was, you know, I did this search on trust, right? Um, And I found this song that I had not actually heard before, but when I listened to it, it just seemed really kind of perfect here. It's called Trust Issues, sung by Olivia O'Brien. And a few of the lyrics, please don't tell me you want me. Please don't say you do. Honestly, it's not you, it's me. I just have trust issues. Trust issues with trusting you. I got issues with trusting you. I'm just letting you know I'm emotionally unavailable. I'd love to reciprocate your love, but I'm incapable because I have trust issues. Felt like it fit with our theme today. (laughs) Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time.